And another reminder that Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. It gives you everything you need in one place, and it's free. You can use it right from your phone or your computer. They have creation tools, so you can record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. And they'll distribute your podcast for free. So you can hear it on Spotify, Apple, Google, and many more. Just like us here at BraveMaker. Make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So download the Anchor app today and go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks to our sponsors. Now back to the show. BraveMaker currently has a 100% matching campaign. Every dollar donated until December 7th will be doubled. Thanks to the Jacques M. Littlefield Foundation. You can make your tax-deductible donation at bravemaker.com slash donate today. Stories, scripts, and conversations with creators. This is the Brave Maker Podcast. All right, dude. We'll just we'll just jump in. This is super super casual, conversational. Just yeah. want to just chat about your career and your work, and especially a slave play. Yeah, amazing. Thank you for having me on here. Oh, man. for sure, you. for sure. I yeah, I've been to New York twice. So the last time I went, I, when I met you, I was there for only gosh, only like three days, but probably more like two. <laughs> but I squeezed oh. in as much as I possibly can. <laughs> And, uh, I was really stoked. It was like a total, just fell on my lap surprise. A friend of mine said, you need to go see slave play. So this is a, a shout out and a thank you to, uh, Christopher Hibma who oversees the Sundance theater Institute. He's like, I, I just saw it. It was amazing. He's like, are you okay being uncomfortable? I'm like, yeah, I love being uncomfortable. So he's like, go see this, this play. <laughs> So, so yeah, so Sullivan Jones on the Brave Maker podcast today, I, I felt like um, I was like super stoked to be able to get you to share a little bit about your story. I looked up some of your other work. I'm like, oh, this is great, man. And then he turns out to be from the Bay Area. So even Maybe. better. That's the most important piece of information of this whole thing, the Bay yeah. Area. Yeah, so let's so Sullivan, just tell us, uh, you grew up in San Rafael. How did you fall into acting and storytelling? Uh, my fam- my my dad's side is very performative. There's a lot of there were a lot of um, like we would do talent shows and variety shows and stuff like that growing up. And there, uh, po- my uncle was a poet, and my dad was actually an actor. He went to school for acting and then quit because he he didn't feel like he could do it for a living and wanted to make some money. Uh, so I grew I grew up with it, and then. Really in college, I started to ask, I started to explore maybe doing it professionally. And that sort of uh, like 18, 19 was when I started to take it seriously. And you went, and to, you went to Brown and, University. I did my research on you. Is that right? Oh, nice. Yeah, I went to Brown okay. for two years. And, two years. Uh, okay. And then I dropped out and transferred to UCLA and, and went to UCLA for two years. And what were you originally studying at Brown? I went, so I, I was recruited to play basketball. Okay. So I went, I went to play basketball, and when I had my recruitment visit, because they fly you out, it's kind of crazy the amount of money that they have in college sports. I don't, I, I don't know if you're following the, um, the NCAA just came out with this thing that players maybe eventually can make money off of their own likeness, NCAA players. Like, they've never been able to, like, let's say you wanted to sell a jersey. Yeah. 
you legally aren't allowed to sell and make money on your own jersey. But so now, it has to go through. The- oh wow! But, but now they're allowing it potentially. Yeah, they're talking about um, relaxing some of those rules. Anyway, we um, when they brought me out to visit the school, I was like, "Hey, can we meet with the head of the theater department? Because I think I I think I want to take theater classes when I'm there." And they were like, "Cool, let's do it." So we met the, we met the head of the theater department. And Brown is interesting because they don't have um, there's no core curriculum. So when you get when you start, there's no like. You have to take a science class. You have to take a math class. You have to take an English class. It's just like, take whatever you want. If, wow. if it's a school and you want to sign up, sign up. So I started taking a bunch of acting classes and was immediately like, yeah, I think I want to do this. I don't think I want to wake up at 5 a.m. and go to basketball practice. That's <laughs> my life. <laughs> That's awesome, man. You totally pivoted. Yeah. That's yeah, huge. Yeah. So you go to UCLA and you study theater there. Yeah, yeah. So then, so then I dropped out because I, w- I wanted more of a, um, uh, I wanted a more robust theater program, and I applied to a bunch of schools. And UCLA was it was in state, so it was cheaper. It was public, and uh, I ended up going there and finishing up there in 2010. So what was that? So what was that like when you were in LA? Obviously, LA is sort of the mecca, right, for for entertainment, yeah. but not so much theater. Right. You're in New York, which is like the Mecca for theater. So how, how was that experience and how did you kind of find your way through the theater world there? Yeah. So I start, when I started, um, I tried to do TV and film after school for a bit. I actually lived and I went back to the Bay area for two years, did a bunch of theater, moved to LA, uh, two years after I graduated and was like, all right, I'm ready to take on the world and be a TV movie guy. Yeah. And I got no work. I, hmm. I was there for four years and, and really nothing. I booked, I, I think I booked one job while I was there. Um, but meanwhile I was doing still a decent amount of regional theater. Okay. Just relationships I had made up in the Bay area and some of the people that I knew. Um, and so about four years into LA when nothing was really cooking, I, I said, why don't I see what's up with New York? Cause that's sort of where things were headed anyway. It was like, it was a lot more theater going on in my life and uh, TV and film has blown up here in terms of the amount of productions that are being filmed here and casting that's being done out of New York. So I was like, I could do both um, and get into the TV and film through theater or have people know through, through theater. So calculated risk and, you know, not wood that it's like kind of been paying off a little bit. Do you feel like you're living the dream? Man, I try to remind myself. It's hard to, to really fully embrace it because, yeah, because yeah, it's like, because I'm still, you have to go every night and do the show. But I certainly, I'm, I'm totally aware that five years from now or maybe sooner, I'm going to look back and be like, that was the best experience of my life, period, full stop. And it may be the best theater experience I will ever have. I mean, it's definitely one of those. It's up there already. I mean, gosh, I mean, New York is just something like it is like you just can't get away from the power and the character of being in that city with all the lights, all the talent, all the opportunity. And you're on an amazing stage right now doing a pretty amazing, provocative play. 
but I'm sure like that we talk a lot about on this podcast, the brave maker way is really for a lot of us creatives is dealing with that journey of rejection and getting all of the no's, but yet still pushing through. And you said a calculator risk, like a, a brave maker in the way we understand it means someone who's taking a lot of risk. So when you said it was a calculated risk, uh, did you have a plan B? Did you think, okay, I'm going to throw myself in New York and it might not work out? How did that come to be? Um, I mean, there's always, I think, an ability to, for, for recourse in terms of adjusting and saying, this isn't this hasn't run this hasn't been as fruitful as I think I wanted it to be so now now what because otherwise you get calcified and you become rigid and um, you have to be able to adapt I think and pivot when is necessary but in terms of there was never a plan B for not being a professional actor it was it was hell or high water for yeah. me. It was like be LA or New York or maybe I'll go back to LA or I'll go back to the Bay Area or I'll go to Singapore or I'll go to China or I'll go wherever, wherever I need to go, I'm gonna go. Um, so that was always part of it. And coming to New York was a it worked out really seamlessly, but it's a big move, man, to 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 go across the country and not I don't have any family here. Um, you know, thankfully, my lady, my partner came with me and she was totally amenable to coming out here. But that was there was a lot of conversations. Wow. She liked playing. Um, so she so, risked it all for you, too. <laughs> yeah, man, she's, she, she's the real brave maker. Yeah, that's know? right. What's her, what's her name? Her name's Leah. Leah. All right, Leah. Shout out to Leah, because that's a big deal to follow you. Now, had you been to New York before? I mean, did you yeah, scattered it out? Okay. Yeah, we've been and... and, and we liked it. We really liked it. But living here and seeing it, figuring out whether or not you can make a living, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. And, um, and, and living aside, just the 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 weather, <laughs> New York's a whole different beast. Like L.A., I mean, Bay Area, we have great weather. We, it's cold. It rains. But it's not like freezing below and snow and slush and, and then extreme yeah. heat. How have you handled that element of adjustment? Man, jackets, beanies, boots, you know, it, it actually doesn't, the hard part is not the cold, it's, it's the lack of sun. Ah, okay. The vitamin D is, is essential. Are you uh, in, what part of New York do you live in? We're in Brooklyn, in Bed-Stuy. Okay, okay. Uh, which, I, which I love, it's, there's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of folks who have been here for, for years, and it has a real neighborhood vibe. And it's changing dramatically like every other neighborhood, sure. most other neighborhoods in the country. But I really like it. Um, so, yeah. How about you? How often do you come out here? Or, or that was where, just my where, second yeah. time. So I, I, the first time I came out, I had a film that was screening in the Urban World Film Festival. So my yeah. film 1440 and Counting with Loretta Devine was in that, that fest. And then with Brave Maker, uh-huh. I was just in Philadelphia, actually. So I have a part of this cohort thing in Philadelphia. They've kind of helped fund the nonprofit end of Brave Maker, and I was doing some pitching there. And so they flew me out. I said, can I just take a train over <laughs> to New York? And uh, I have a friend who's in Hamilton right now. So I was like, I wanted to see him, and then I wanted to see some other plays and then just make some other connections, some of our filmmakers from uh, Brave Maker because we do film screenings every month and then we do uh, a film festival every year so we've got a lot of filmmakers in, in New York so just trying to keep those connections going and then trying to like meet people like you just going to these plays trying to say alright cool we want to expand our network and um, part of Did you start Brave Maker? Yeah 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 I started Brave Maker mm-hmm. oh, 
so cool yeah thanks man yeah yeah it's amazing i, I love the, the the idea and and the moxie and the energy behind it it's oh, really right cool right on Sullivan's yeah. turning the interview on me. Thank you. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I try to do that, man. Be, be careful. I love doing that. No, yeah, man. So it's good for us to connect because, you know, my kind of my heart behind Brave Maker is I was an actor for a long time and then I got really because um, of the Bay Area, as you know, there's a very small market, but it's a lot of film and I'm sorry, a lot of commercial, a lot of industrial and print stuff. Not a lot of film, but I have an agent and, you know, I'll get maybe four auditions a month, which is not a lot, right? So you're kind of waiting around, hoping you're going to book something. And then I kind of got to this. Uh, MDT, Marla Dell Talent. Marla Dell, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So basically Marla Dell and J.E. Talent. Yeah, right? or stars, right? There's like, yeah, just a very small handful, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's great. So I just kind of got to this place of like, you know, like you, you know, like, okay, do I just wait around uh, for someone to book me or do I start making my own stuff? I have a family, so I didn't have the, like, I wish I could live in LA or New York. But I was like, all right, we're here. We got three kids. So I just, I just started making my own films and I started Brave Maker so that I could bring people to the Bay and support not only Bay Area makers, but also kind of bring a little bit of New York and LA, which Sundance is where I really got inspired, but bring a little bit of that film festival culture here. So that's what it's all about. The name. I love the name. Uh, you know, it's kind of a take on filmmaker, right? So the idea that I was looking for, I was going for like, like, how do you bravely create what you're supposed to create? And I was dabbling with all these different ideas and the, the idea of brave and maker, like smushing together. First, it was like two different separate words. And then a friend of mine was like, you should just mash them together. I was like, oh, that's perfect. So that's how it was born. That's great, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's the Bay, that's the Bay Area ethos. I feel like there's a lot of people just being like, let's get some good people together who are good at what they do and who are going to push yeah. a scenario where we're going to push each other and let's make some cool shit. Yeah, man, for sure. I mean, and I hope it, I hope we can do more. I hope the Bay area, as you know, I mean, if you really want to do something, people always go to LA or New York, but the Bay area does have a really kind of great niche market that I think we can continue to invest in and hopefully see it become more and more of a destination that people come and go, Hey, I can live here full time and I can create here full time. That's kind of the hope. Attention filmmakers. Brave maker screens films every month and we host an annual film festival. Submit your short films and features, narrative and documentaries on filmfreeway.com slash bravemakerfilmfest to be considered. Brave stories, brave makers, and brave conversations. Join us for our next monthly film screening and panel discussion. Tickets are available at bravemaker.com. Now back to the show. But one of the cool things that we're trying to be about, and that's why I thought I wanted to talk to you after going to a slave play, is we're trying to really elevate the stories that are about diversity and inclusion and justice. Because, uh, you know, we could do a film festival and you could show all different sorts of films as there's all different types of entertainment out there. But we really were looking for films that would make us think, that would cause us to question, that would maybe invite us to look at the world differently or see those who are other than us in empathetic ways and bridge the gap and bring, you know, people from all sorts of uh, parts of the table, whether it's politics or sexuality or ethnicity or gender, together and, and, and talk. And man, when I saw a slave play, I was like, what am I seeing? This uh, play was written by Jeremy O'Harris, 
and he's yeah. he's well known. I don't, have you got, did you get a chance to meet him? I'd love to hear just anything you can say about your understanding of the play and how you got involved and uh, yeah. yeah, just kind of describe your role in a slave play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Jeremy was in the room. Uh, with, so we did it once at New York Theater Workshop last year and then transferred to Broadway uh, a year later, which is now. Um, and he was in the room every day the first time we did it. And this time he's had a, he has a lot of other irons in the fire, and so he was kind of in and out. Um, but he was just, he was a big part of, of the, the creative process even after he had written it. Okay. Uh, he was still making vision and developing it and stuff. Um, and he's 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 great. He's fantastic. So my uh, we're quite, we're, do you want me to talk about my character or, or the play or, or yeah, how well, let's let's start high, then we'll go deep. So, uh, how did you get involved? Was it the audition process? What did you know about the play, and how would you describe it? Yeah, so I knew I, I knew very little about the play. They had done a workshop um, at the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center cool. uh, a couple of years ago, and two, three, four. I think half of the cast came from that workshop. So they, they kept half of the cast and then they recast four people. And I was one of those four people. And it just, um, it was just like, I got an audition. I went in, I got a call back. I went back in and I got the role. It was, wow. Short it was, process then. Yeah. It was about a week, week and a half. It's amazing. Uh, start to finish, which, which I love. I, you yeah. know, no one <laughs> yeah. like back along for weeks yeah. on uh, it's brutal sometimes just the waiting for the phone to ring or the email to come in. Yeah. 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 You go, am I still on hold? Yeah. yeah you're still on still, hold yeah. you know, or the next day. Yeah. Um, those are the worst. Um, so yeah, that's how I got involved. And the play is, uh, as you said, man, it's about, it's about these four couples. Um, and they're all interracial couples who are dealing with, relationship conflicts um, through this really fascinating mode of therapy. Mm-hmm. And my character, Philip, is um, he's a biracial guy who hasn't really had a lot of self-examination and self-discovery in his life. And so a lot of, a lot of his, uh, a lot of the conflict in his storyline is, is kind of going, He's kind of asking himself questions related to identity that he that he's never asked himself and never dug into, and that and that goes for everyone more or less in the play. But there's so many people represented. To your point about kind of lifting up stories that that haven't typically been lifted up, um, there are there's a lesbian couple, there's a gay couple, there's there's a there's a gay black man, there's a straight white woman, there's the biracial straight guy, there's, I mean, almost, almost, yeah, the whole smorgasbord. Um, and people are left out, let's be clear. Like, right, there's no sure, Asian sure. people, there's no uh, Indian people or uh, 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 First Nation, uh, Native American people. But it's a, it's a pretty crazy melange of, of identities that are represented. I felt like for, you know, for me as a audience member, first of all, there were so many things to take in, you know, so for my listeners, the, the stage is the set design is so cool and unique in all the different ways, like doors open, but there's a full on like panel of mirrors, right? Or the whole, like the whole thing, the whole behind the the thing is, yeah, it's all mirrors. So you're, you can see yourself. 
the audience sees yeah. themselves in this space. And then yeah, behind us, there was like a, a strip of like a plantation, right? Like a video wall of a plantation. Right, exactly. So, so it looks like that. you're, yeah, if you're looking off into the distance, you can, you can see the plantation as if it's, you know, some, as if you're looking through a window and it's somewhere off in the distance. So uh, it just messes with you <laughs> in a really intense way. And there's no intermission. So you need to sit through the whole two hours. What is it? Two and 15 maybe. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of conversation about our director, uh, is like two Oh four. That's the sweet spot. Okay. okay. <laughs> it's, it's the actors are milking it and indulging. Yeah. So we, it's like, it's usually between two Oh four and two Oh eight, two Oh nine, okay. depending okay. on how we're feeling. That day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> two hours plus with no intermission. So, um, which is a movie, you know, it's a movie, like, totally, it's which is normal. Yeah. People can sit through movies. Right. Except for there's a bar and uh, I didn't know there was no intermission <laughs> and they, they make you get your drinks beforehand cause they say, you uh, know, you can't get it out. So I got, I got the cantaloupe by the way. So that's the drink I had. It's called the cantaloupe. Did you know about that? I'm sure you do. It's like some cantaloupe flavored, almost like a tequila drink or something like that. Okay. It was okay, cool. so good. I got a double too. <laughs> oh man, you, you were really buzzing. So, but I had a great seat in the very middle, right? So then, you know, when I had to go to the bathroom, I was like, oh, I'm not getting up. I'm not getting up. I'm not getting up in the middle of this intense play where Sullivan, let's talk about Philip's character. Sullivan yeah. has to go deep into the psyche of this couple's therapy where they're yes. reversing, they're doing some reverse role play, right? Like, so talk yeah. about that. So, so set up the idea there are these four couples, they're all doing some very interesting, it's called antebellum therapy. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Antebellum sexual performance therapy okay. is, is uh, what one of the therapists calls it in, in act two. And so um, what, what is that? So the idea is that they're, they're, they're exploring these race and power dynamics that they have in their actual present-day relationships through literal slave play. Sorry. <laughs> Someone brewing some espresso back there? <laughs> Let me actually see what's going on. Okay, hopefully, hopefully it doesn't last that long. Um, so, so they're they're exploring that by um, playing out, improvising these scenarios of master-slave relationships in the antebellum South, and the and the kind of power dynamic is consistently warped and turned on its head throughout the play. So, the the person that you think is going to be the one uh, who has the domination and is in control is oftentimes the one who is subordinate. Mm-hmm. And, and it keeps kind of shifting and transmogrifying throughout the scene. So my character, I'm like the house Negro. Uh, my partner is the, the mistress of the house, and she calls me in for a favor, and it slowly becomes this, you know, sexual tryst that happens. Is this too loud? Should I move? What is it? What is it? Is it? It's some construction thing. Oh, is it? Yeah. Can you shut the window or something? Yeah, the window is shut, man. I'm in a oh. New York apartment. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. We'll deal with it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, no worries. So, so as an actor, you have to first of all, you really play the violin. Good. 
But yeah, I had to learn how to play the violin, so I you, took lessons. You learned to play the violin. Yeah. First of all, yeah. yeah so so he comes out. Philip, the character who that Sullivan plays, has a violin. I'm thinking, oh, okay, let's see how they do this. Is he going to turn his back? Are they going to play something? But he legit plays the violin. It sounds good. I was like really impressed. I'll take that. I'll take that. I worked. I worked hard on it. I'm not going to lie. I worked really hard on it to basically sound like. A really good ten-year-old. Yeah, you you sound like that was like a normal thing for you. I would have no idea that you had just learned for that role. Play violin. I did not. I played the trombone, but I quit. (laughs) Yeah. So to perform it in front of an audience, having just learned it in the past year, that's that's guts. I mean, that, yeah, that's a brave yeah. thing to do. But not only that, then, so in the role play, so the, the character Philip and his wife are doing this master-slave sort of role-playing thing, and she has pulls out this large dildo that she wants to do something yeah. with in you. Like, how did you get over that as an actor? Was that, like, one of the hardest things to do, or was that, like, no big deal? No, no, it, I mean, I think the hardest part was... Was anticipating figuring it out, so like uh, I read it and I went, okay. <laughs> and then days leading up to rehearsal, um, because it took us a while to get to that scene and figure it out in rehearsal. Sure. I'd be like, okay, how are we gonna, how are we gonna do this? How are we gonna do this? How are we gonna do this? And but then once you actually get there and you start getting into the nitty gritty and being almost clinical about it, yeah. it. Uh, it demystifies sure. all of it. But to to the Brave Maker piece, uh, kind of one of the one of the mantras that we had in, in the rehearsal room was we're not creating and we're not working out of a safe space, we're working out of a brave space. Oh, I love that. And so, I love that. Yeah, yeah. And so it was all about, you know, creating the environment where you feel comfortable to say no if yeah. you need to say no. Sure. Um, but also but also making sure that we're we're being bold and we're telling the story the way it asks to be told. And part of that is like, as an actor being like, I need to be on stage every night and I need to act as if I'm getting penetrated by a dildo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, yeah, on stage in front of, you know, sometimes family members who are in the audience, friends who are in the audience, industry people who, are, and I'm like looking out into the audience, seeing people's faces every night. You know? how's, how's Leah deal with that? <laughs> You, we, we talked about it. There was a lot of conversations. There was a lot of conversations it's about something it. to add to the resume, Sullivan. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I just I was wondering how you, as a person, as a black man, how how you processed your own identity through this character who was processing his racial identity, which I really loved. All of them, all of the characters. I mean, there were all, for, as a white person who's been in right. you know, majority culture for a long time being in the arts and entertainment has probably been the best school I could ever ask for to, to learn, to hear, to understand, to recognize my own biases, my racial, you know, tension. Um, so I appreciated that part of your character was dealing with growing up in locker room culture in basketball culture and what that did to you as a person. So how did you, um, merge those two together as actor and person? Yeah, I'll start with the character. So Philip, his main um, his main argument is actually the dramaturg who is Jeremy's friend. Uh, his name is Amata Firmino, who's this really smart guy. Pulled me aside during one of the few days of rehearsal, or one of the early days of rehearsal, and said, 
just so you know, your character is kind of based on OJ Simpson. Whoa. Because OJ had this line early on where he says, uh, I'm not black, I'm just OJ. Ah. Um, kind of making clear to the world and himself that he's exceptional in such a way that the normal boundaries that apply to black people, the, back, the boundaries that apply to everyday black people, don't apply to him. And therefore, that means that he's... Uh, He's, he's in a way emancipated from some of the um, he doesn't have to be he's, he's not paying the same price that most black people have to pay for being black like he's just he's just a guy moving through the world and even Kanye has said something like that something similar um, so he's he's giving up his blackness in a way mm. in order to uh, have have privilege that being famous uh a famous athlete gives him. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I, I explained that that well, but that's sort of Philip's point of view going into the play. And um, that point of view is transformed in the play because he has a moment where he goes, wait, wait a second. Actually, there's something else going on here that I haven't really been privy to and I haven't been available to. And now I'm seeing it for the first time. Um, so that said, going into it, I was very critical of Philip. Uh, hmm. because I just, I grew up in a very different household with a very different psychology and ethos. And from, from the time I was really young, even though I'm mixed, my mom's white, my dad's black. Um, I was clear about what it meant to be, what it means to be, you know, to have, I have a big nose and I have, I have copper skin and, and I'm tall. So when I moved to the world, like if, a, if the liquor store across the street is robbed and they say it's a six foot four black man, and I'm walking down the street, I might get pulled over. You know what I mean? I, sure. I'm, I, I'm not going to be like, oh, but I'm Sullivan. Wait uh-huh, a second. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so I was very critical of Philip going into it. And I slowly, through the course of really seeing fan, uh, not fans, audience members' reactions to it and hearing their stories, realized that it resonates. His story resonates with a lot of people. And that we have to have patience and compassion for people who aren't as up to speed as we would like them to be. You, you know what I mean? Um, that there's, we, you know, you can't, there's, there's always room to bring more people into the fold and say, even though you're, there's a certain amount of ignorance operating and blindness operating, if we stick with you and if we give you enough time and space, you know, maybe, maybe you can see the light at some point, if that makes sense. For sure. Yeah, it's cool. I, I love when actors talk about their characters, learning to love them or learning to accept them because it's really mm-hmm. difficult. Like you're saying, it's difficult if you're going to be critical of your character because you'd have to step inside their shoes. And so being right. able to find a way in. So it sounds like you found a way in to fill up through other people's stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I, it wasn't until we had an audience that I really uh, figured out who, who, what he meant to, to people. Um, it, it wasn't until people started, yeah, giving me feedback. And I was like, oh, he, you do, he is a real person. You do see him as a real person. Yeah. Even though, you know, we laugh at him a little bit. Um, people know Philip. He's recognizable. And hopefully he's human, you know. Yeah. As a class as a human being on stage. For sure. Yeah, I thought you did a great job with with him, and I think the the thing I love too, so especially about 
like stories and plays like this is there is a in New York. I mean, it's amazing how you guys just come out after the play and interact with people. There's a different culture as opposed to being in like in LA where like the actor culture is just very, very different. But in New York, it felt like you all were just so accessible and I've been following yeah. along on social media, you know, with okay. a slave play now and watching how people are interacting and people are sharing stories. It's just so cool. I felt so honored to be able to be a participant in that, you know, and learn from that. And I, w- I wish, I hope it comes to the Bay Area at some point because it's just a really deep, deep story that I feel like right now in our time, in our culture is so necessary to, yeah. to deal with all the race relational stuff that we have going on and all the tension. It really humanized it. And hum- I'll be honest, it's humbled. Is very convicting for me as a white person mm-hmm. to recognize just the power dynamics that are in place already just because of skin color and how people of color already feel on guard, even in their most intimate relationships. Right, right totally. And I think another thing I think about often um, is how your sense of identity is really con- context specific. Yeah. So, like, I'm 6'4, right? So, I'm typically, I'm tall. I'm, a, I'm just in terms of the trend of height in the world, I'm on the taller end of it. But if I'm in a, let's say I'm, I'm like coaching a fourth grade basketball team, then I'm, I'm, I'm really tall. I'm a giant in that scenario. But if I'm on a basketball team, which I was in college, I was actually one of the shorter ones. So the, the, the general kind of I'm tall has to be plugged into a, a context and has to make sense within a given context. So I guess I'm just using that to, to say that one of the great things about the play is that you have uh, people's conceptions of themselves as an absolute colliding with a different context. So like if I'm around black people, uh, when I was growing up, when I was around my cousins, they would call me light skinned. They'd be like, oh, you light skinned. So I, I was light skinned around them. But when I went to school and I was with white people, I was black. There was, yeah. they called me light skinned. So I understood that the two different settings meant two different things, even though I was the same person. Yeah. I think that that's what the play brings to bear is how you have to be aware of, you're never walking into a, a, a situation as an absolute thing. It's always dependent on, it's always contingent upon who else is around and what else is around and what the dynamic is. And so you have to be like, you have to have, a, I guess, a certain amount of humility um, anytime you walk into a space. That's deep, man. It sounds like it's really impacted you as a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's been uh, it's been a gift, man. And I have to say, like, meeting, meeting you was, was um, meeting you and people like you uh, has been the best thing about this. That's great. But the fact that it's resonating with people is... Because you do so many plays, I'm sure you know, where people just don't give a shit. Yeah. They're like, oh, and you could work your ass off. Right. <laughs> but I made this. And people are like, well, interesting. Yeah. Next. You yeah, know. Right. But, but to be a part of something where people are genuinely interested, it's like, it's the, it's, it's, it just means a lot. So rewarding. Yeah. So I think, you're, I think I remember you told me, are you, through, are you doing this through the end of the year? Yeah, through January 19th. Through January. And then do you have something next? No, I'm... Uh, no. Okay. Short, short and long answer. Okay. Okay. All right. So I also know I have not been able to watch it yet, but I told my friend that I had you on um, coming on my podcast, and I had known you were in the Wu Tang show. He said you. I haven't watched yeah. it yet, but it's on my list. He said you play a rough and tough character on that show. He knew immediately who you were. 
Oh, that's funny, man. Yeah, yeah. I have, I have kind of. A, it's not a big part, but it's um, it's a it's a part of a big plot. Thing. Yeah. So it's uh, it's it's pretty cool. I've been getting I've been getting like recognized in New York a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, that's exciting. So you know, anything else you want to share about like what we can find you in or how people oh. can get connected to you? Yeah, um, you can follow me on on the gram on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, I think my handle is underscore Sullivan Jones underscore. I'm on Twitter. I don't know what my handle is on Twitter. We'll find uh, it. We'll put it in the show yeah. notes. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, yeah, and just shout out, man. And if you and if you're ever in town and you want to kick it or, or you you have anything going on, I would love to support. You know, yeah, awesome, man. And when you come back to the bay, same thing, man. Come on. If, yeah, you if you don't have any plans after January 19th, why don't you come see the family <laughs> in San Francisco? We'd love to connect. Cool, cool. Yeah, we'd love that, man. All Great right. Time. Cool. Hey, well, dude, thanks so much. Uh, I really Thank like I admire the work that you're doing. So thanks for being like just so cool and rad, like right after the play to connect. I mean, I just love that kind of thing. And I will definitely be back to New York. And now that you're connected to the Brave Maker family, we're always like just sco- scoping out like, just who can be partnered with. And I know you're into film and TV too stuff. So anybody that I know is casting stuff, I'll just, you know, you'll be on the back of my, my mind on my radar, man. Appreciate you. Thank you, man. Thanks yeah. so much. Brave Maker is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our work is funded by generous patrons like you. Support the podcast with a tax-deductible donation at bravemaker.com. Thanks for listening to the Brave Maker podcast. Subscribe, give us a rating, and share with a friend.